In Ephesians, We the Church is the name of our series, and we've been talking about the potential of the church, the incredible potential of the church. From an individual standpoint, those who are in the church have been brought to faith in Christ, and there's been some refashioning and retooling that goes on. And then there's the collective element, where these people are brought together to uh, do the, the work together that God would have for us. And Paul's description of the church is very lofty. His, his ideas, his concepts of what is possible in the church is high. But we know that there are pressures and challenges in the world that would want to keep us from realizing Paul's lofty goals as the church. And so in the text that we're going to read this morning, Paul is going to offer a prayer for the people of the church in his day and forward to us, that we would be strengthened to be able to meet whatever pressure or challenge comes upon us as we seek to fulfill this awesome calling and potential that is the church. So would you open with me to Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible today, we've got some in the back, and just raise your hand, we'll pass one to you. If you need to take that Bible home with you, uh, please do. We want you to have uh, a, a copy of the Bible available to you so you can have it. If you've taken five or six home, then please bring some back because uh, you don't need that many. But um, we do want you to have easy access to it. Uh, Ephesians three fourteen through 21, page 675 in that Bible that we hand out. Before I read, starting in verse 14, I remind us of what's been going on in the context here. At the very end of chapter 2, Paul talked about this church, comparing it to a temple, a magnificent temple, only it's not built of physical stones, it's built of living stones, people who've been called into God's grace and then are assembled together and, and collectively they become a temple of God for His dwelling by the Spirit. And then, as he goes into chapter 3, he he begins to say something. For this reason, in verse 1, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then most of your Bibles will have a dash right there. And then he goes into this digression about the nature of the church. And some think, well, this is sort of a, a sidebar. But when you really get into the essence of what Paul's saying here, it's actually the core of the book of Ephesians. And it's probably the greatest statement in the Bible about the purpose of the church. We looked at that last week. And then in verse 14, he comes back to what it seems like he was going to say in the first place. So we have this, this, for this reason again, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And here's his prayer, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word that Paul has for us this morning is that we would be strengthened. And how is it that we're strengthened? And I want to look at three questions around this. Why do we need to be strengthened, first of all? How do we get strength? And how can we be sure that being strengthened is even possible to begin with? So let's tackle those in turn. The first one is going to be pretty easy. Why do we need to be strengthened? What are the pressures and challenges that beset us all? and collectively. And we could run through the list, right? Just this last week, we uh, had uh, one of our dear, dear friends was diagnosed with cancer. And so sickness is one of those. And, And I'm sorry to say this is not the first person we've known, nor will it be the last person. One of the pressures and the challenges that we face is sickness. And it's very distressing. Some of us have relational challenges. Our marriages are on the rocks, they're broken, and we're struggling. Some of us are struggling with kids that uh, are, are, are going in a direction that maybe we're, we, we can't figure out, we don't know how to do what we need to do, and, and we're just at a loss. It's overwhelming to us. Some of us are struggling because we're living a single life, and we don't feel that God has called us to lead, lead a single life. And I remind us that the Bible has wonderful things to say about singleness. It's not necessarily the case that all should be married, though our culture sometimes implies that. And yet some of us, though, do feel like marriage is for us, and we're wrestling with singleness, and it's a pressure, it's a challenge. I never was prepared for this in seminary. They didn't teach us how to pastor a congregation where housing was such an issue. But when you think about existing in the Bay Area, over and over again, it becomes a spiritual, a pastoral issue. How do we deal with the challenges of housing that come up in our community? It is hard to find a place to live here, and we see that over and over again. Some of us are facing pressures and challenges from work. We're either not too challenged, not challenged enough at work, or we're too challenged, or maybe we don't have any work, or we don't like our work, and on and on the list could go. This is easy for us to understand, right? Why do we need to be strengthened? Because there's all kinds of pressures and challenges squeezing us, squeezing in upon us. What I like about the way Paul talks about this is that he makes it collective. He makes it communal. So when he's praying for us to be strengthened, the, the you that he says is a plural, you all to be strengthened. And it's a reminder to us that one of, when one of us faces a challenge or a pressure, all of us face that challenge or that pressure. That's what the church is to be. It's to be a collective. It's, it's you all. Your challenge is our challenge and vice versa. Uh, and, and, and then in addition to that, taking on one another's pressures and challenges, we have the corporate challenges that we face uh, as a community. We are in what has recently been dubbed the least churched area in the United States. And so we have that pressure and challenge upon us as a church. There is a great secular bias in the place where we live. And many people, I've seen this in the years that I've been here, people will move from a place in the United States 
where there are lots of Christians and they feel there's a cultural Christianity there and they come here and all of a sudden they're marinating in a culture that's very different. And, it, and if their faith hasn't been properly rooted and grounded, it can have a corrosive effect on their faith. And so we have to be watch, we have to watch for that because of the culture that we in doesn't push us towards our faith in Christ, oftentimes pushes us away. I would note as well that there have not been revivals in this area historically ever. And so we have a kind of a darkness and a pressure that we're often against. And then it's such an exciting place to live. This is the innovative place where all the intelligent and capable people go, right? And there's lots to get caught up in. And sometimes there's lots of money that goes with that or excitement. And all of these things have the potential to become idols for us and to draw us away from our pursuit of Christ. And so there are pressures and challenges on us individually and collectively. There's nothing new here, right? We've always known this was going to be the case with life, and and people have made funny uh, statements about how hard life is and just how natural it is. I came across a quote by David Gerald, an American writer. He says, life is hard, then you die. Then they throw dirt in your face. Then the worms eat you. Be grateful it happens in that order. Or stating the obvious, Louise Brandeis, a judge in the 19th century American judge, says, if you would only recognize that life is hard, things would be so much easier for you, right? So we know this is an easy point to make. Why do we need strengthening? Because life is hard, and this is nothing new. Meeting life requires strengthening. Reaching the potential of the church requires that we be strengthened. So how do we get it? How do we get the strength that we need? The natural impulse is to meet challenges by removing them. That's what we would like. But Paul doesn't pray that way. Rather, he he prays that we would be strengthened in our inner being, presumably in the midst of the challenges and the struggles that we face. And certainly that was characteristic of his life at this moment. He was sitting in prison when he writes this letter. And so one prayer could certainly be, Lord, free me from this prison. The other prayer, which seems to be the one that won the day, was help me to write this letter to your people. And it continues to this day to minister to us. And so Paul was strengthened in prison, in his inner being. So this is not a theoretical concept for Paul. And it shouldn't be for us too. And this is the keen insight that Paul makes, is that inner strength is what we really need in this life. That's what we really need need. And we know this is true because we've seen, and you know people, who seem to have everything on the outside, all the external things seem to be ordered just right, and that yet there's still a mess on the inside. They're a wreck, suffering and struggling, even though everything on the outside seems to be just right for them. And then you've met people whose lives are a wreck. And yet, they're filled with joy inexplicable and a vibrancy, an ability to meet the challenges they face. See, Paul's insight is that what we as human beings desperately need is that inner, that strengthening of our inner being to be able to meet the challenges. Some of the most, I would venture to guess, some of the most admirable people you know are ones whose lives have been extremely difficult. And yet through that crucible, something beautiful has been fashioned. 
So how is it that we would develop this inner strength, this strength of the inner being? How does it come to us? How do we discover it? How do we find it? And it's not just that we would experience lots of hardships. Because experiencing hardship can send us either direction. You know people who've been through lots of hardship and they've come out bitter and hardened and in some ways less inner strengthened. And you've known people who've gone through lots of hardship and come out, you know, joyful. And so it's more than just struggling through life. And the answer is in this text that we're looking at. Paul says that one of the key issues to developing that inner strength is for you to have an ever-growing comprehension of the love of Christ. If you want to be strengthened in the inner being, seek an ever-growing comprehension of the love of Christ. Verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And and by the way, that doesn't mean that you become better at loving initially. Okay, This is not telling you to go out and love better. This is saying, when he says rooted and grounded in love, he means that you would comprehend more fully how much God loves you in Christ. Okay, So you being rooted and grounded in that love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How are you going to do that, Paul? How, do, how am I going to know the thing that I can't know? That's what it says. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. An ever-growing comprehension of the love of God, to know the thing that we can't ultimately know, but to keep growing in our knowledge of it, is what Paul's talking about, and not to give up. Because as we grow in our knowledge of Christ's great love, then we will be strengthened in the inner being. We will be connected then more fully to the rest of the congregation, whether local or around the world, and then the church will reach the potential that God has for it, the beautiful, wonderful potential for it. Now, we've got to stretch our minds in this, this whole idea of knowing what you can't know. Paul is talking about stretching ourselves mentally to grasp something in, that surpasses our ability fully to grasp it, something awesome. Now, people down through the ages have wrestled with big things before, and uh, I love, this is the great, I just, this, this is genius. This, uh, the, the, the Zionists, it's a, it's a, religion that you find in India, and uh, they uh, had the, this uh, sort of, uh, you know, habit of thinking about big things and trying to grasp large things. And so um, take time, for example. There was this, this way to talk about time, to, to sort of stretch the mind, to think about time uh, beyond what you might normally think. And so, so the, the, there's an, actually an, a, a word for this length of time. Now, let me describe to you what this length of time is in the, in the giantist understanding. Take a 10 by 10 by 10 kilometer cube and fill it with the hairs of newborn lambs, okay? And then remove one hair from that cube every century. Think how long of a period of time that is. 
That's a, they have a word for that. It's called a, a, a palaya. Apalya, I'm sorry, apalya. And it's a way to stretch the mind to think about something that you couldn't otherwise think by using things that you know to stretch to something massive and great. And Paul is in that realm theologically when he's talking about the love of God. That we would, we would wrestle and extend and struggle. And I'm convinced, actually, that the whole nature of this universe and it's how grand it is, is intended for us to have our minds blown, really, by its greatness so that we might have an inkling of just how great God is. And we're, do, I haven't read this week what happened, but somebody discovered a new planet recently, right? And we're still, we, there are things out in the universe that we haven't really even seen yet, but somebody will see in the future. I mean, they just, it's like God has just put these things out there so that we'll continue to have our minds stretched and our understanding grown so that we can see his majesty and his greatness. So we're invited into that journey with respect to the love of God. So what do you, how do you do, how do you, you know, I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching, you know, as, as on this particular text, he has about seven to ten sermons, I think, right? So when he gets to the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, his sermon says, point one, the depth of God. You know, point two, and then he, he, he unfolds each one of those, which is fitting because that's what we're supposed to do were we to have the time. But I want you to, to think about this a little bit. Uh, think about the width of God's love in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All. That's the width of Christ's love. Psalm 105 helps us understand the, the length of God's love. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. What about the height of God's love? Psalm 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Or think about the depth of Christ's love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of Jesus Christ as He hung on the cross taking into himself the sin of this world. We think about the physical anguish that Jesus suffered on that cross, but much greater was the spiritual anguish that came from being separated from his Father. That's what occurred on that cross as Jesus hung there, taking the penalty of the sins of the world into himself. Physically, it was the worst Spiritually, it was incomprehensible because he was cut off from the Father in a way that no one has ever experienced. That's the depth of his love. And it's for you because as he hung there on that cross, figuratively, he had us in mind. That was, that was the reason. It was the love of Christ which caused him to stay there. 
These things bear pondering over time. And Paul says that as you stretch your brain and try to understand this incomprehensible love, the height and length and width and depth of it, you will be strengthened in your inner being so that you can meet the pressures and the challenges of this life. Don't waste your time wishing that all the struggles would just go away. But use your time to understand on a deeper level the incomprehensible love of God. So let me ask you this. Which direction do you feel a tug to sink into? Is it the width of God? Do you need to understand just how that, that idea that, that, that he, His love is for all? Is it, is it the, the length of God? Do you understand that, that, yeah, you remember that He loved you back then, but He still loves you today and, and He's still for you today? Do you need to understand the height of God? Do you need to be lifted out of the, the mire of this world and caught up in the grandeur and the glory and the transcendence of a perfect holy God? Is that what you need today to encourage and strengthen you? Or do you just need to be reminded of the depth of God's love? in the person of Jesus Christ, that he loved you so much that he would be willing to endure what he endured on that cross for your sake. Paul says, if you really want strength, that's where you go. You put yourself in the path of the Holy Spirit because this happens by His Spirit. You put yourself on the path of the Holy Spirit using the Scriptures and prayer and the family of God so that the truths of the love of God can minister increasingly more deeply into your soul. I was wading into the theological debate that's been happening most recently between John Piper and N.T. Wright. It's a very friendly debate over the justification And these guys are huge, massive thinkers. They don't just write letters or have arguments. They actually write books back and forth to each other. So I'm wading into this, and I'm reading about justification, and I'm plugging along, chipping away at the arguments. And then all of a sudden, there's this jewel. It's like I was chipping away at a vein of gold and something that I had struggled with with respect to some nuance of justification. I didn't really formulate what my question was. It just leapt, the answer to my question just leapt off the page. And then I just sort of understood it. This happened this week. And, and I just had to stop and put the book down and just ponder the goodness and the greatness of God. And I felt lifted, and I felt strengthened, in my inner being. And those are the moments that we need over and over and over again in this life to meet the challenges that we're going to face. All right. So that's how we get it. And then thirdly, how can we be sure that it's possible? Verse 20. I mean, is... Okay. Is it possible to be strength? Is, is God able to strengthen us in this way? Well, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. He says in the church, that means you, 
throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Which just means let it be so. I love what John Stott says about these verses. He he tries to help us get into Paul's mindset and what he's really saying. And what he's saying is this. First of all, God is able to do or to work for he is neither idle nor inactive nor dead. Basic. Number two, he says, he's able to do what we ask for he hears and answers our prayers. Good enough. Number three, he is able to do what we ask or think for he reads our thoughts. And sometimes we imagine things for which we dare not and therefore do not ask. Number four, he is able to do all that we ask or think, for he knows it all and can perform it all. Number five, he's able to do more, I love this part, than all that we ask or think. I love for God just to do the things that I can think of, but this tells me God's going to do better things than I can even think of. Okay, Um, We ask or think, for his expectations are higher than ours. Number six, he's able to do much more or more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So not just a little bit better than my creativity, he's way better. For he does not give his grace by calculated measure. There are no bounds to his giving. And seven, he is able to do very much more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think for he is a God of super abundance. That's what those verses say. And they convey to us the simple proposition that, yes, God is able to strengthen you in your inner being. Now, there's a very important dynamic here, and, and we've talked about this in the book of Ephesians, and that is the strong power of God and the soft power of God. And I define the strong power of God would be, for example, Paul's desire to be released from prison. God, would you break these bars and let me out? The soft power of God is what, may, what helps Paul thrive while he's still in prison and even write this letter. And there's, this is a very important dynamic in our faith and our walk with God to understand the difference between the strong power and the soft power of God. One day, God will enter into this world with strong power, and he will dash and smash and renew and rebuild, and everything that's broken what will be fixed, okay? There is a day for God's strong power. And it, and it reminds us of the resurrection where Jesus was raised from the dead in the cross, but there's, in, the, in, in the grave. But there's the soft power of God too. And the, the soft power, the most emblematic expression is Jesus Christ on the cross. Accomplishing something scandalously grand in the universe, but by sacrificial, suffering, death-like means. Paul in prison, suffering, and yet in the midst of it, the soft power of God. This is what it means to be strengthened in our inner being, is to be leaning into the soft power of God while we wait for the strong power of God to manifest itself. And here's the thought that struck me this week that just seems so encouraging to me. Sometimes I feel that when God is operating through his soft, Christ-like power, I fear that the important things won't get done. Here's the important truth. When God works through his soft power, 
his ability to get what he wants to get done is impeded in no way. In other words, whatever he wanted to accomplish in the first place, he can accomplish whether he does it through his strong power or his soft power. They work in tandem together. And so we can have this kind of confidence that this verse talks about, about a God who is able to do far more abundantly, even through means that are subtle and involve humility and crosses and prisons and limitations and denials of self and all kinds of struggles like that. Even if he chooses to work in the middle of that, he can accomplish his great goals just the same. So what a church is, is just a group of people who get that. And they just sort of bumbling through life with a kind of a joy that comes from the knowledge that God is accomplishing his goals. He's doing exactly what needs to be done to accomplish what he intends to accomplish in our lives individually and in our lives in a larger picture. Because he is able and because he is loving. And if we ever struggle, then what do we do? We don't wish that all the bad things would go away. We can pray for that, and that's an appropriate prayer. But we take our energy and we dive back into the love of Christ so that we can be strengthened to meet the pressure and the challenge that is before us. And so, Lord, this morning, as we reflect on your scripture, we ask that you would help us to dig into your love as manifest most fully in the person of Jesus Christ, but scattered throughout the pages of scripture, evident in the community of faith, We know that perfect love casts out fear. So our problem isn't even that we don't love well enough. It's that we haven't understood oftentimes your love well enough for us. So would you draw us deeper in? Would you expand our vision more widely? Would you carry us to higher heights And would you help us to sink into deeper depths that we might be more and more the people that you've called us to be, that that in our testimony, in our life, would be evident the loving, gracious, gospel-centered, Christ-oriented love of God. It would be unmistakable your fingerprints all over our lives. Would you make it so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.